Hey guys, you like science? You like learning? We can't cover everything on this podcast, certainly not as in-depth as I'd like to all of the time. Well, here's an important topic you need to know about. Water. Do you have it? Are you drinking it? Where is it coming from? All sorts of important questions you need to know. There is now the new Waterline podcast, which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech, a part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. Waterline podcast aims to bring the latest scientific advances in technological solutions while exploring economic models and identifying key players in the global effort to secure water sources, create efficient water usage, and make water safe for everyone. I just checked out a really cool, interesting episode called Want Not, Waste Not, Wastewater. It's all about what happens to your wastewater. It's going to waste a lot of times, but does it need to? Absolutely not. What happens to all that discarded wastewater? Once treated, it has uh, economic and ecological value that can even drive nation's economies. It could even light up your house. How? Find out on that episode of the Waterline Podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. Hello, everybody. Hope you enjoyed today's episode about aggression. Please don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. Also, you can support me on Patreon and get access to the weird special podcasts that I do just for Patreon subscribers by going to patreon.com slash Shane Moss. Also, I will uh, be in San Antonio, Texas at the LOL Comedy Club on November 17th through 19th, and that's right before heading to uh, Jamaica, and then also we have, I I just lined up, I'm going to be in uh, Texas through all of January, New Year's Eve, you can come spend with me in Dallas at Hyenas, and then I'm going to be uh, doing a few weeks, I'm going to be in Plano and Fort Worth and Dallas and Houston and so that's where I'll be in the start of next year, uh, looking at adding more dates soon, kind of waiting to see what happens with a few other projects before booking a lot of road stuff. But um, I anticipate more stuff filling in soon, so try to get that schedule on my website updated for you and uh, all of that good stuff. Don't forget to download the Laughable app for all of your comedy podcast needs. And if you already have the Laughable app, make sure and subscribe to me, Shane Moss. And know when I'm a guest on other podcasts, pops right up. Hey, our good friend Shane is on this podcast that I've never heard of. Then you check it out and you go, wow, I really enjoyed that podcast. And now I'm going to listen to that one more as well. I just found a new thing that I enjoy. All thanks to Laughable. So check that out and enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am still in Sydney, Australia, and today I'm talking with Associate Professor of Social Psychology at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Tom Denson's joining me. Tom, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's funny because I keep on, you're the third guest that I've interviewed from Australia. I have yet to interview an actual <laughs> Australian. Uh, you're from LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, yeah. Moved here 10 years ago. So what's your uh, what's your background? How did you uh, how did you end up getting here, getting where you are today and studying what you now study? Yeah, I was doing my PhD um, in social psychology at the University of Southern California in LA. 
and finished uh, finished that. And it was 2007, and I needed to find a job. And uh, this was the first job I applied to, and got an interview, and <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> I just moved to Australia, and and you like it here? Yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Sydney's fantastic. Um, all right, so uh, so what? What uh, what kinds of stuff are you studying now? I see, I see you do uh, quite a bit of stuff with aggression. Yep, yep. So uh, how did you get into studying the field of aggression? Yeah, I started doing some of that um, in my PhD and was trying to look at why people sort of, you know, flip out and hurt people, innocent people, really. So we call that displaced aggression. So people that are sort of had a bad day at work and, you know, you're driving home and then you get into a road rage incident with someone who's completely unrelated to the reason that you're angry in the first place. And I'm sorry, everybody, for having done that many times. <laughs> in my, my, this, yeah. is, this is going to be good for me because I ha- I'm so much better at it than I used to be. But I moved from uh, Wisconsin to Boston originally and in Boston mm. um, it, I mean in LA it's traffic's just so hopeless yeah. that it doesn't even matter there's no sense in like getting worked up or anything but in yeah. Boston you can like drive aggressively and cut people off and actually make it to your destination like slightly faster in yeah. LA there's just no hope no, of getting no. anywhere any faster so, Bo- so Boston is the only city that I've ever been yelled at by a driver <laughs> actually sworn at cursed at and given the finger for crossing the road while it was green like while, while the green man was still flashing <laughs> so it's like it's the drivers in Boston can be a little bit uh, yeah 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 <laughs> I uh Oh, I'm just remembering a road rage. I, I have a whole uh, bit on my last album about a road rage incident in, in Boston. Uh, yeah. Someone threw a big gulp uh, at <laughs> me through their, through their car. Yeah. That's a true story. That's, that's displaced aggression right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, okay. So, so you got into studying um, displaced aggression. Why people... It, so, is this, is this mostly... Uh, kind of because when i think about road rage i think of um kind of a snap judgment yeah whereas there's also displaced aggression with kind of stuff that's fueled from hating your job and going in day in and day out and getting fed up with like kind of the same things over and over again can also kind of be a trigger but that's a much slower trigger yeah is there is there a big difference in those responses yeah i mean what we found is that it's not it's not really the type of aggression that matters so much it's the mechanism is all the same so people that are ruminating a lot in an angry way you know reliving you know, all the annoyances and all the bad things that have happened and planning revenge and that sort of thing. People aren't necessarily particularly conscious of the fact that that's related then to the displaced aggression that occurs, but it seems to be. So what about, uh, one of the the things that really, I I do a lot of, we have a fair amount of like evolutionary psychologists, biologists on, and um, one of the things that that is really disheartening <laughs> is is in many primates it's a lot of uh a, a lot of aggression is kind of uh hierarchical um yeah i'm not saying that word correctly yeah. but but where it's about uh, achieving dominance or status and, yeah, yeah but it's also like if if the t- kind of top guy has a bad day oh, or right. yep. loses then then he takes it out on on the number two or three or whatever and then three takes it out on four four takes it out on five and you don't want to be the guy at the end because you don't have but yeah. but uh but it, the the interesting and uh, sad and disheartening thing about that is it really seems to work. It seems to alleviate a lot of a lot of stress when when you do take it out on that lower guy. Yeah, yeah. In those in those instances, I, I it does. It's also because the primates they're not feeling guilty or ashamed of their behavior. You know, they're not feeling bad about it afterwards, <laughs> right, which right. I think humans tend to, and also tend to also ruminate a bit more about it. So in humans, right. it's a bit more. You know, there's a, a bit more of a stress response there, I think, rather than, than what you would see in, like, the primate world. Mm. Yeah. So, but the, can't that also, <laughs> if, if, so, you you go and you uh, yell at someone in a road rage. So, I've, this has happened many times to me where I've uh, had a bad day, something happens, I I take it out on somebody else, 
and then I am embarrassed about it, yeah. and, then, and then you ruminate. But that doesn't seem to help the situation much, because now you're beating yourself up for having been aggressive. Isn't that going to lead to more aggression? Yeah, I mean, it, it does, right? So people that, they, they you've, you've, you've nailed the point exactly. It's like people feel like being aggressive is going to alleviate this stress and this built-up you know, rage that they have. But in fact, in the long run, it just makes you feel worse or makes you ruminate more about things, so which can, you know, elevate stress responses. And So what, what kind of things are you doing to study these responses? Yeah, um, so we've, we've been doing a lot of stuff. So obviously in terms of stress, like, um, you know, uh, hormones, especially cortisol is, is the big one right. um, that we study. Um, we also look at, you know, various uh, cardiovascular indicators of sort of stress and, you know, emotion regulation, that sort of thing. Um. Why don't you, uh, could you break down the, the cortisol, the kind of hormone cascade and uh, the, those me- uh, hormonal mechanisms that happen during um, moments of aggression and or whatever you're studying, but things that build up to aggression? Yeah, I mean, it's a really messy area. Um, you know, some studies show that you might see like an increase in testosterone before, like an anticipatory response before you get into an argument. Uh, but not all studies show that. Um, but one of the most reliable markers of, of being stressed is cortisol. That one seems to work pretty well. Um, and the idea is that cortisol is, is really interesting because it, um, it can help you free up a lot of energy in your body to like, you know, it it activates, uh, um, so if, if you, if you're confronting a stressor that requires a lot of energy to deal with, then a cortisol is an adaptive response. It's Um, delegating energy to... Yeah, it releases energy from your liver, which gives your body more energy to do whatever you need to to take care of business. Um, but what's what happens? And this is this is in a lot, a lot of stuff is in Robert Sapolsky's book. You know, why zebras don't get ulcers. Right, it's uh, one of my favorite books. It is a great it. book. Yeah, also super depressing. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like he doesn't <laughs> offer tons of like advice. It's not a self help book. No. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a wonderful uh, book. But but my my listeners have I mean have not heard enough about this stuff yet. So oh please, right, sure. Yeah. Do. So so when you you have have a stress response you get um you get cortisol released into the bloodstream and normally it would just go away subside on its own um, but if you're really ruminating about things and you're still upset or you feel guilty ashamed angry and so on you're going to have this heightened cortisol response which is bad for you right so having cortisol dysregulation can lead to lots of bad outcomes um and 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 that's because we're human right we can we can have this extended stress response because there's you know theoretically an infinite number of days that months years that we could ruminate about something um okay i'm just taking notes here i was curious uh what happens if if you uh so cortisol is coming from the liver and cortisol can be involved in causing aggression. If you have a, ba- a bad liver, do you potentially have less cortisol well, levels? Well, so- is, has my alcoholism made me, <laughs> made me a more chill person? Well, alcohol-dependent people do show some the differences in some dysfunction in cortisol. So really, yeah, but cortisol doesn't actually come from the liver. It, it comes. Uh, it's it, it's called the uh, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So it's produced from the oh that. Glands, Everyone so. knows. <laughs> well, on top of your kidneys, you've got two adrenal glands, and that's where the cortisol is produced. But then it releases energy from the liver. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so how uh, how do you go about studying this um, these different uh, people's ability to regulate these yeah. these hormones? Is there is there a lot of um, I mean, I imagine there's just tons of individual differences. Is there, is there any, how much research is there into the genetic components of this? And, and I mean, I imagine, um, much of what you're studying is, is kind of environmental factors. Yeah, there's, yeah. So there's a couple of genes that are, that are at play here. One is the MAOA gene. Uh, some people call it the warrior gene and it's the people who have the like sort of low functioning version of that gene uh, they're more at risk from for becoming aggressive or violent later later in life, especially if they've had an abusive upbringing. And the other gene is a serotonin transporter, and serotonin is obviously in the brain, and it's really um, involved in regulating your emotion, controlling your behavior, and so on. So those those are two genes that people have looked at in relation to this, um, in relation to uh, aggression. Um, sorry, I forgot what the other question was. In what was the 
Oh, oh so the, how do we how do we um, yeah get people to regulate their emotions or yeah yeah yeah, yeah so we um, we we actually manipulate it so we train people in the lab just really brief uh, brief interventions we tell them you know how to how to regulate their emotions in different ways and then we expose them to they don't know it's going to happen but we expose them to like a provocation in the lab so another student will insult them or tell them their speech was crap or their what they wrote was a bunch of junk it's a waste of my time listening to you that sort of thing uh, we debrief everyone That's a at fun the end. Job. it is fun yeah <laughs> well, we, for science <laughs> for science yes uh, but we do debrief everyone at the end of the experiments, and so make sure everyone. Oh, that's important. Good. Yeah, it is important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, we can we can teach people to to regulate their anger pretty well, um, and it seems to work in the lab. But it's much harder to do in the real world. Um, but yeah, it's. So walk me through that. How how do you go about teaching people to regulate? Right. So the most effective one um, technique that we have at the moment is cognitive reappraisal. So that's getting people to think about, um, you know, uh, an ang- uh, say a provocation or how angry they are in a very impersonal way, like an objective or a neutral way. So we actually tell people just imagine that, you know, this interaction you're having is, you know, you're viewing it from a third person's perspective. Um, so give me like a specific example. Yeah. So we'd bring people into the lab and we say, oh, we're going to um, we're going to uh, uh, give you some, you know, uh, information about how to view social situations. And in the reappraisal condition, we say, okay, while you're having social, the next social interaction with this person, uh, we want you to think about it as if you're, you know, a third person, neutral observer, um, and, and, uh, not to take things personally, maybe make some attributions, like try to be empathic about their perspective and so on. And when that, when we then provoke them later on, we find that those people are much less angry and much less aggressive than the people in the control group. So it does seem to work. And it's not it's not rocket science. It's just it's sort of hard to implement. Often people are unwilling to implement it once they get angry. So ideally, you'd be able to, you, you know, um, it works the best when you know you're going to encounter a difficult person, I guess, is, is the bottom line. But it doesn't work so well. Like on the road, someone just cuts you off, you know, and you weren't expecting it. And then you fly off the handle. Um, right. So it works well. And if you can do a little bit of mental preparation before you, you deal with people, difficult people. Okay. So if you know you're going into the... Um, job on and Wednesdays are a particularly bad day because yeah. you hate the group meeting or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, your boss uh, is always in a shitty mood on yeah. Fridays. So that's going to yeah. set you off. <laughs> yeah. So you can kind of mentally walk yourself through that ahead of time. Yeah. And then uh, picture yourself from an outsider point of view. Yeah. And that makes, and then people take it less uh, personally and, and it's, it's more objective and they don't feel so bad afterwards. Hmm. So is, <laughs> what can be done in the moment as far as when you get cut off in traffic and and something happens unexpected and now you're yeah it, th- those are the situations that cause a lot of issues yeah so actually one of the most powerful things is really simple it's stuff people do all the time but just distract yourself so put on a, one of your favorite songs or pull over and play candy crush or whatever for a few minutes and if you'll find then that your anger will will go down quite significantly once you're just completely immersed in something else, you just forget about it. The danger is, is, is like we were talking about earlier, when you continue to perseverate on it and you just, you know, ruminate about things, then then things get bad. So. Okay. So, yeah, all the talk about phones being too distracting. In this particular case, that might be a good thing. Yes, as long as you can pull over and do it safely, yeah. Okay. How long does it take to kind of downregulate? It's, it's not long, about 10 to 15 minutes for most people. Yeah, so it's not it's not like people get angry for a really long time most of the time. Um, so yeah, people are actually pretty good at just sort of self soothing, if you will. <laughs> Is Candy Crush paying you to? Do all, <laughs> no, all of this I've never played research. the game myself. I just know it's popular. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't played it either because I have a highly addictive personality. Oh, you I'll, get it hooked on the. Uh, candy well, then crush. I'll get mad at myself for playing too much Candy Crush, and then I'm worried I'll displace right. that on other people, so it might have the opposite effect of of what I'm going for. Yeah. What is happening um, outside of hormones? What's happening in the brain? Yeah, so um, I mean, one one of the uh, essentially what you find. So we've actually done some studies where one of the first studies I, I did actually this was back at USC was I just wanted to see. No one had done the study yet. It was a very obvious kind of thing to do, but I just wanted to see what happens in the brain when you piss someone off, right? When when you provoke people. So we did that, and that was kind of the the first study to look at that. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So now let's try to get people to control their their anger while they're in there, right? Um, so we've we've done various uh, studies where we motivate people to control their anger. Um, 
uh, while I, I provoke them. And so we've really mapped can, can out. I pa- can I pause you just for one second? I'm curious, how many different uh, methods have you tried <laughs> to, to provoke people? Yeah. Just, uh, that's, uh, that's, There's a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> give, a, give us a, a, little, uh, a little list. I yeah, think that'd so, be entertaining. So my, the, one, the one we use the most often these days is um, we tell participants they have to give a brief two-minute speech about their life goals to another participant. And that participant is actually a pre, pre, pre-recorded <laughs> videotape of another person. Okay. And so they each give each other uh, the two-minute speech, the, and the participant has no idea that the other person is actually you know, fake. Yeah. Um, and then they get a chance to give written evaluations via like a text message to each other about their performance on that uh, task. And we, in the, when we provoke people, we tell them that, oh, this is the, the stupidest, um, you know, uh, uh, speech I've ever heard is a waste of my time listening to you. You really haven't thought about your life goals at all. Right? Oh, so they you can... shit on people's yeah. life goals. That doesn't even seem like I, I've not even tried to be angry about that. I think I'd just be disheartened. Yeah, people do get disheartened, but we always find that people are more. I mean, these things induce a cluster of emotions, right? <laughs> right, right. But the the primary one is anger because people feel. Um, I mean, people feel that they've been unjustly harmed, and that's what a provocation is. It's when you feel like you've been unjustly harmed. Mm. And, um, so the other one that we use, and this is the one we use in the scanner, is we give people some difficult anagrams, and uh, their their job is to say the answer if they know it, or say no answer if they don't know it. And uh, I ask them a couple times very politely, oh, can you speak up? I can't hear you. I think maybe the microphone's not working. Can you speak up? And then I get angry with them and say, you know, oh, you know, you can't follow directions. Yeah, all I, all, you know, you have such a simple job, essentially make them feel, you know, like a child. And, right. and then that makes them angry because they're like, well, I'm doing the best I can. Because, you know, by the time I, second time I say, can you speak up? They're practically screaming into the microphone. So, okay. So you stick someone in an fMRI and, uh, and yeah. provoke them. What ha- And then what, what are you seeing? Yeah. So you see a lot of activation in uh, the prefrontal cortex. So they're sort of where they're trying to maybe regulate or take this all in. Um, their behavior, and then also in what we call the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex. So that's a part of the brain that's constantly running, just unconsciously, and it detects uh, discrepancies between your ideal state and your current state, right? So in this case, when you provoke someone, your 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 ideal state is, you know, to be left alone, <laughs> and then your current state is you're angry, you've been provoked, blah, blah, blah. And that, that, that what we're finding is this really key region in initiating uh, emotion regulation, initiating self-control, um, and, and that's correlated with, uh, also when you just ask people, how hard did you try to control your anger while you're in there? And, and that's, that region is, is highly correlated with that response. So that seems to be this really, um, 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 you know, sort of key linchpin kind of, uh, area because it, 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 it's a mediator between these, you know, unconscious subcortical activity, like amygdala and so on. And, and that's and dorsal anterior cingulate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was impressed. It's hard. I, I mess it up when I give talks sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so no, it's this, it's this, it's this real mediating region between like subcortical structures. Like everyone's heard of the amygdala or a lot of your listeners would be familiar with that as mm-hmm. this primitive kind of like threat detector. And then the prefrontal structures, which help us, you know, behave like humans, right. And, and, and control ourselves and not always aggress and that sort of thing. So that must be activated in a lot of emotional states if you're yeah so how you phrase that again this is the discrepancy between the ideal state and the actual state yeah, yeah. so that that seems like a, a lot of cause of uh not just anger but depression or sadness sure yeah, stuff yeah as well so yeah. so is it all uh I mean, is that kind of regulating a lot of those? Yeah, yeah. It's not specific to anger. Um, There's been a a big literature on social exclusion that makes people feel angry, but it also makes them feel sad. Um, So, the the most common game is called Cyberball in the scanner, and you're playing. I was just trying to explain (laughs) Cyberball to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I was just trying to explain it. a couple episodes ago, and I couldn't remember exactly. I think I had it close, but yeah. What is it that again? Yeah, it's um. Uh, so you're in the scanner, and you're playing a game with two other people, supposedly, right. and everybody's tossing the ball to each other, and kind of this like triangle formation. And then eventually, they stop tossing the ball to you. And this feels is this feels incredibly. This is an incredibly powerful way to make people feel angry and sad. <laughs> um, you, you wouldn't think it, right? But apparently, it's quite. Uh, 
it's it's, yeah, it's quite quite effective. Yeah, and that and in those studies, you see the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex um, is very activated as well, and correlated with how bad people feel and that sort of thing. So, is the idea if you can um, get more activation in the dorsal anterior anterior cingulate um, that potentially someone can regulate their emotions better? Yeah, I mean, that's the idea. So what we've seen now in, in quite a few studies is, is that, you know, aggressive people, people who are predisposed towards aggression, whether because, you know, they have high testosterone levels or they're high in sort of self-reported aggression or they have that gene that I was talking about, that warrior gene, um, uh, the low-functioning version of that. That's the coolest sounding gene, by the way. Like, <laughs> that, that gene really lucked out. It did, yeah. <laughs> it's. I'm a little uncomfortable using it because there's there's no, you know, you can't say that there's just one gene that predicts aggression, but right. it, it is, does seem to be implicated in this. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so uh, people who are just predisposed towards aggression, they show the most activation in, in the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex. Um, which is interesting because it suggests that their brains are really just like trying harder to to control to control the anger, control the aggression, that sort of thing. So even though someone seems angrier than the average person, they might still be trying harder than the average person to be less angry. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just that they're predisposed yeah. to anger so much, so yeah. they have they have that much more work to do. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's a good chance that that angry person who everybody dislikes just really was, 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 didn't, wasn't given the, uh, you know, they didn't win the lottery with, <laughs> with various biological, um, you know, determinants. Or had a really vision. hard upbringing. Yeah, and, uh, and possibly had a hard upbringing. Yeah, so they're social and, and these things interact, right? So we know that the, right. you know, your, your genes predispose you towards certain behaviors, but then if, if you have a harsh upbringing, then you, you know, it, it doubles up, right? So it becomes more powerful. Um, but what I think is interesting about that those findings is uh, it's not that a lot of people just think, well, aggressive people, you know, they write them off. They're like, oh, they're not trying. They don't care about other people. They're not trying um, to control themselves, blah, blah, blah. But the brain data actually suggests that they are trying to control themselves. And when you ask people how hard did you try to control yourself while you're in the scanner, their their responses, the aggressive people, their responses are just as high as the, as the regular people. Um, but their brains are just sort of inefficient at... at at dealing with these situations. So when we're at our best, the, the, the most saintly of us, what, what we could potentially do is see an angry person and have empathy for their predicament. Anger mm -hmm. is one of those things that is just, it's so off-putting yeah. that, yeah. Uh, that um, I mean, even when I have it myself, I get, I get angry at myself for being angry. And it's, yeah. it, it is when you see someone flipping out on the street or whatever it is hard to kind of sit back and feel bad for that that person because yeah. you're just like oh that person's an asshole yeah an asshole but yeah. it, it, so it's kind of easy it, it's hard to snap yourself out of that mindset yeah absolutely absolutely i mean i think that's the um i mean the, the, that's the thing with anger is it's it was it was adaptive right it's it serves that purpose to get other people to to recalibrate to to do what you want them to do um, and people find that annoying, obviously, and don't want to engage with that. But. I wonder if there's some sort of study that could be done where, um, where the idea is is you have have someone get angry at someone else. Maybe the Confederate is is meant to like get angry at someone, yeah. and and you. Uh, can, uh, try try to evaluate people's response to anger, and if there is a way to like prep people ahead of time by telling them ahead of time about, uh, you know, prepping them to be more mindful and telling them that yeah. uh, that anger is, uh, you know, this person's predisposed or whatever, and and if people would have a different reaction to anger itself yeah. if they were uh, if they were kind of coached through that in a way yeah uh, yeah i mean i think you, you can you can see that it's it's kind of a problem just in, in the way we treat you know aggressive angry people like the most violent people we just lock them away from everyone else because we don't really know what to do with them right right <laughs> there's no way to stop them and and put them with other yeah, <laughs> angry. angry people yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, i mean there's lots of violence in prisons obviously but yeah right uh, so um what what uh what are the different approaches that you have uh, have tried and what has been the most effective? 
Uh, for reducing anger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the the most effective is the cognitive reappraisal that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty pretty effective. So so what kind of uh what kind of practical applications do you do you see for uh for this work? Is is there a way to implement this stuff in um in like job training or into our educational systems? How how do you well, see this? So I mean part of the problem is that ang- so anger treatments lag far behind like other emotional problems treatments for other emotional problems like depression or anxiety mm. and why do you think that is yeah so probably a, a couple of reasons um and one being that perhaps you know um anger is sort of related to reactivity right so reactant so you don't want to be told what to do and that sort of thing so it's harder to get people into treatment in the first place i think um and then i'm not i'm not yeah, I think there's also a lot of issues um because I, yeah, I don't I don't know. I yeah, sorry. I, That's okay. <laughs> I don't have a good answer for that. That's all right. Um, but yeah. I mean, anger does seem like one of those emotions where like if I'm anxious or depressed, I usually feel like oh, some something isn't right with me yeah. right now. Yeah. But if I'm angry, I'm usually like something isn't right with some external yes, thing. Yes, yeah, so yeah. it's it's not me that needs to change. It's the yeah. Starbucks lines are too damn long and they need to figure out a way to Yeah, <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. I think a lot of angry people feel that way. It's just externalizing the blame, you know, it's not my problem, it's her problem or blah blah blah, right? Yeah. Um yeah, which makes people unwilling to sort of go into treatment. All right. So so do you uh, do you see any of your work eventually potentially being used as in um, in intervention? I mean, there there certainly is. Uh, it seems like humans in general are becoming more and more mindful. There's there's certainly uh, of, of just emotion regulation in general and all yeah, the various yeah. mental illnesses. And it seems like there's, uh, I mean, there's there's therapy for sex addiction for crying out loud which is like that's a that's always kind of a weird one for me because it's like everyone has to have sex (laughs) um but we're as a species addicted to sex but anger is one of those things that it does seem like there is now um groups out there and and this is there's anger management is a thing that um i at least I, i believe in the u.s you can have be court ordered to yeah. anger management and uh are, are these is, do you know of any research out there that shows that any of these um therapies are yeah. effective or? well so so they do that here as well for like domestic violence offenders but those they don't work so you know really 60 70 percent will come back within a year really um so that they're it's really hard to to change um you know to to get people to sort of lower their anger or proneness to anger. Um, <clears throat> do you think but, there is <laughs> as much in the future? Do you think that there's more things that could be implemented into the... I don't mean yeah. to put you on the spot here, <laughs> no, but again, no. I really don't mind like wild <laughs> speculation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of these things. So, so yes, I, I do. It's not all doom and gloom, but <laughs> yeah. um, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So there's one there's one technique that Ray Navaco over at UC Irvine uh, came up with, this uh, stress inoculation technique. That seems to be pretty effective. What's that? Um, it's a it's a just an, like an anger treatment thing, and one of the big things is like very similar to cognitive reappraisal. So getting people to think differently about provocations in a, in less personal ways, and identifying triggers and things that it's sort of a cognitive behavioral um, you know therapy. Getting people to identify triggers and know when they're likely to get angry, and just more insight and awareness and that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, yeah. It doesn't seem like, like one that ex- exposure therapy would, would no, work no, no, well. No, no. It would just you, kind of build you, you on. Even starting fights. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I mean, there's a lot of misconceptions about anger. So one of them is this notion that catharsis is really it works. You know that if you if you act aggressively, you'll release the anger and so on, and you'll feel better. That just doesn't work. It, uh, it makes people acting aggressively, not surprisingly, makes people more aggressive in the future. Um, the, the other thing is it, it is such a natural part of being human, you know, like uh, uh, lots of other mammals is one of the basic emotions. Um, and it was adaptive and, 
as right. well as aggression, you know. That's right. kind of why I feel sorry for, you know, violent offenders. That, you know, if if you took sort of Genghis Khan today, right, he'd be thrown in jail. But, <laughs> right. and, and, but you know, back in the day, he was, you know, he, when there was no law enforcement, he was this amazing leader, right? Right. Um, well, I don't know if I want to use the term amazing, but unique leader, I guess. Well, he, uh, he <laughs> certainly was successful at spreading his genes. That's on, true. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and a lot of his aggression helped yes. toward that cause of spreading those yeah. those genes on so, so that so, so now we've got aggressive guys that probably would have been successful you know in 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 the the world right but now we, because of the way things are obviously we can't tolerate people running around killing each other and that sort of thing so hmm. um is there any uh is there any medication on the market when someone is uh, uh having anger issues or there's yeah. domestic violence violence yeah or? Yeah, the big the big one that people will give is this, is a, an SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, to sort of um, you know increase levels of serotonin, which is implicated in behavioral control. And the studies I've seen on that seem to be pretty good, so that's that's encouraging. But again, it's it solves part of the problem, not the whole problem. Um, so what we're trying to do is actually is is come up with some um, interventions that don't take a lot of verbal ability sort of operate unconsciously so that you can use them. They can be employed when you're suddenly, you know, provoked, you know, out of nowhere. Um, so one of the things we've been doing is what we call self-control training, where we have people practice self-control in a really mundane manner for a few weeks. And then um, what, what we're seeing is that um, that can reduce aggression. So, for example, the one we, we like to do here is we have people use their non-dominant hand. So if you're, you know, right-handed, use your left hand for everything for two weeks. And that's an act of self-control because it requires you to monitor your ongoing behavior um, and then uh, notice when you, you know, override that habitual response. So I'm right-handed, so I would reach to use my, ma my mouse with my right hand. i say, hey, don't do that. And then you have to implement the preferred response, right? So repeatedly doing these sorts of things. And, and uh, we, we've just completed data collection on an, on an fMRI study trying to see what are the, you know, what changes in the brain when people are then provoked after they've had the training or, or haven't had the training. So we don't have the data on that yet, but um, um, yeah, so so we're trying to, but it works, it reduces aggression in the lab, so, um, and especially for the people who are high in, in aggression, they, they report being high in aggressiveness. Um, it seems to be the most effective for those people, which is which is good, it's what you'd expect if you they have the most trouble controlling themselves. Um, and it's, I like it because it's it's unconscious, you know, it's nonverbal, um, and, and so we'll see, I think it, what we're going to find is that it's somehow strengthening the, um, act, activation in the self-control circuitry, like the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex and that sort of thing. So. I could use some help in that department, <laughs> just, not, not just, not with anger, but just overall, I mean, won't, won't that, uh, uh, won't that potentially lead to people just being more disciplined and yeah, it does. So, so we we did a meta-analysis, there's two meta-analysis now. So one by us and, and one by another group in Germany. And they found the same thing. So it's like a small to medium effect on lots of different self-control behaviors. Then if you're kind of showing up to work on time and not getting in trouble as much and <laughs> and, uh, and maybe um, increasing your income or, or uh, yeah, yeah, that, whatever else, maybe that's leading to less anger yeah. as well. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, so I mean, people that are dispositionally high in self-control earn a lot more money. They have more high-quality relationships. Um, people that are low in self-control, even from childhood, there's a great there's a great paper um, by Terry Moffitt, her, her group, uh, showing that low self-control as a child then predicted lots of bad outcomes. You know, less money. Um, it, it also predicted more likely to be convicted of a crime and that sort of thing. So it's it's a huge it's a huge contributor to um, you know well-being essentially. Yeah, unless you're going to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> then it's like, I'm unfortunately in this job where it's like I don't need self-control as much as most people do because if I get drunk and do something stupid because of my then I uh, then I have a story. Yeah, to tell. yeah, yeah. So yeah. I kind of get rewarded for my <laughs> impulsiveness uh, <laughs> oh but you still got to show up to the gig on yeah, time, right? yeah yeah <laughs> or it's, roughly on time uh, right um so i mean there there also seems to be uh i mean is is there a fine line with some of the stuff i, I mean if so if i start 
which I think I'm going to try. I think I'm actually going to start trying this for a couple weeks. We'll see. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's it hard. Is, You'll see it's hard at the beginning. Yeah, I'll start trying to open doors and whatnot with my left hand. But I would think uh, if, if I went as far as, say, trying to write with my left hand, right. that might end up being too frustrating yeah yeah and also a waste of time and then because i wouldn't be able to read my own writing <laughs> later yeah, um yeah. and and that that might ultimately backfire yeah. right have, have you have you been able to test that in any way or are you just yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure our students don't write anymore i think it's all <laughs> yeah, know, electronic it's all <laughs> but they could use their left hand to you know text or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah I, is that just is that just an age thing because now i still use pen and paper and yeah, i yeah. still write things out by hand and i swear when i do that i'm more creative and yeah, right. and that improves memory and everything else yeah. and i don't know if that's uh just upbringing or if it's uh, if it's just more physical i don't know it, it doesn't matter yeah but, I, don't, I don't know but it's a it's a, yeah I, I feel the same like definitely with the memory you, when you write something down you you remember it more yeah i feel that i don't know if there's data, there's got to be data on that but i don't know um so what other uh are there any other things that you've used to uh to train self-control in people um no that's that's the that's it yeah that's all you can we do, do. <laughs> that's the, that's the only, there's that's no there's the other ways solution. like well so that's what we've done but right. other people have done like practice better posture so like you know when you catch yourself ah. slouching you, you pop up all right um, as we both correct our, <laughs> sitting ourselves. up straight now <laughs> um you know there's verbal regulation so you can have people do things like don't start sentences with i or we or um and um you know avoid swearing that sort of thing so hmm. Hmm. Um, so how, how has your work changed the way that you look at the world in general? Yeah. I mean, for me, one of, one of the, the main insights has been this issue with aggressive people just sort of being, um, you know, that, that they do try to control their anger when, you know, when, when they're required to, but they just, they, they can't, you know, it's, and, and that's, that's been something that uh, has, has been really interesting in terms of just how I think about, you know, that group of people, especially like, you know, this violent offender group, this extreme, extremely violent group um, who has a lot of risk factors, right? So not just, you know, um, you know, certain genetics or whatever, but they've also usually had, you know, rough upbringing or witness violence in the home and so on. Um, so it makes you really, it, it makes you a little bit empathetic, I guess, is the, yeah, towards this sort of group that no one likes, right? <laughs> you know? I'm surprised. It why why aren't uh why aren't these studies being done in prison i know that's like probably ethically a little shady to st run studies on prisoners yeah. but um i mean certainly there's i mean the world is uh humanity is a bit of ex an experiment anyway and, and certainly they're they're trying to do things with uh having um church and aa meetings yeah, and various yeah. things like that has there to your knowledge has there been um any anger studies done in prison populations i feel like there is one ongoing in the u.s um i can't remember where that one is happening you'd but, think yeah. it would be a problem <laughs> like why wouldn't you i mean you don't have much to lose with the rates of of uh a repeat offenders yeah and everything yeah. else and yeah because nothing works now really so right yeah. it's uh that's a sad state i mean we could do it we, we thought about doing it the problem would be you'd have to do sort of in different prisons because they talk to each other so you can't have one experimental group and one control group um, in the same prison because they're uh, all in the same environment right so, yeah so hmm. but yeah maybe one day but i'd like to see that the outcome of this american trial would be interesting uh what what would you like to see going forward with your work in the future yeah so the stuff we're working on now is we're we're moving more into the in intimate partner violence um because stranger violence has been declining uh, over the last few you know decades slash centuries <laughs> um but intimate partner violence is still it's also been declining but it's it's still pretty high it's at a much slower rate um so we're trying starting just starting to do some work on that um, we've been having couples come into the lab and we have them do a week of mindfulness uh, meditation together and then versus a control group. And uh, what we're seeing there is we've just got some, um, we just finished an experiment on that. Uh, we had them come in and they do a conflict uh, discussion. So they, um, they 
pick like the most contentious topic in their relationship and then they have a have a talk about it and we videotape them um and so what we're finding is that and then we can code it there's this like standardized coding method for that yeah um, to code their interactions and I, how does that work by the way so it's it, we have we each have a video camera focused on their face okay um so you can code it for like how much anger did they display during this you know so the the the, the coders are blind to the condition so they just say, how much anger did this person display or how much negative affect or how supportive were they and that sort of thing. And what we're finding is that um, the mindfulness, the couples that did the mindfulness, they were more supportive. Uh, they showed less negative affect during the, um, during the conversation. Um, and they also engaged in more active problem solving. So they weren't just whinging and complaining. They actually said, okay, we're going to solve this problem. So I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's really <laughs> encouraging. Yeah, so we're running another state now. Try to replicate that, but yeah. That's and like, again, this—I mean, that's that's not just—I uh, mean, outside of just improving anger, you'd think that would make for just a, a more fulfilling or, or happier relationship. Yeah. In, in general. Yeah. What yeah. is it? Uh, is there a particular <laughs> meditation that they? that they do that's specific for that task or is it just a, your general run-of-the-mill meditation i i ask because uh there there's i i haven't been using it much lately but i usually use this app headspace yeah that's and, what we use yeah. oh really so we use the take 10 the the uh, oh just the general take 10 yeah because they're good for novices right so they get you right into it because yeah, no one yeah, no one yeah. really at, at that age has meditation experience so oh, uh, when wonderful. they come in yeah we gave them that so. Yeah, I wonder if because I th I'm pretty sure there's a pack on there for relationships. There is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, hmm, I haven't done that one, but now I'm encouraged from <laughs> these findings. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, everyone's relationships are something that we have to deal with day in and day out, so uh, they can always get better yeah 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 so i mean obviously we want to stop people from hitting each other and so on <laughs> right. but yeah just improving relationships is, is definitely a good thing to do in fact that cognitive reappraisal manipulation um works really well too uh there was a study a few years ago where they gave people that um they asked them to sort of reappraise the last argument that you had with your partner and so they go through it in a more neutral way and write about it just it only took seven minutes i think and then they found that two years later, the group that had gotten those reappraisal instructions, they reported being more satisfied in their uh, How long was that afterwards? Uh, two years later. Two years? Yeah, so just seven minutes of this reappraisal. They're just learning how to... It's just something people don't intuitively think about. But once Wait, you... how long did they do the actual study? Or how many times did they do the reappraisal? Well, that I don't know. That was up to, the, up to them. But they just did the training once at the beginning. And then two years later, they followed up with them. Really? Yeah. yeah so seems to work and we found actually and we did a study where we had people come in we gave them that same reappraisal um manipulation and they were in romantic relationships and then we had them do this thing which is called um, articulated thoughts in simulated situations and so they listened to this little scenario of their partner they imagine they're there and it's their partner and that some there's another like um you know same-sex person over there with your partner and he or she starts to massage them and <laughs> and it gets it, it elicits jealousy and they start to say i'm going to make a special treat for you is one of the lines in there <laughs> and and then the participant is asked while they're listening to this to vocalize their responses to it and and people get quite into it and start, you know swearing and this and that but what we found is that the reappraisal um the group in that uh, who got that reappraisal manipulation they were um, you know, they had less uh, less anger, less negative affect, less aggressive intentions, and that sort of thing. So they were like kinder when than than the other group. Wow! Even in that jealousy provoking scenario. So. Uh huh. That's amazing. So I'm I'm writing this down because now I want to try this <laughs> yeah. for my own relationship. So what exactly do you do you th so you think of the last argument that yeah. you had and then you just journal about it for well, well yeah so with some instructions so it's like a guided thing so and how you can reappraise it so write about it from a third person perspective and think about maybe what positive things you might have learned and that sort of thing okay hold on <laughs> this is i gotta give these instructions to my girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> I, I can send you the instructions if you like i've, I've got them all Oh, nice. Yeah, I would love that. Um, do you remember any of the other ones off the top of your not, head? Not That's okay. There's a bit more to that, but it's not much. It's it's surprisingly simple. Um, so uh, as as we uh, as we start wrapping up, um, uh, first off, before 
before the little extra credit thing. Um, is, is there any any other of your work that you wanted to share that you're excited about at the moment? Or did we, did we cover it well? Well, yeah, we did. Um, it's not really related to aggression, but my... Um my former PhD student, Candace Blake, and I, we did a series of studies looking at, I don't know if you're familiar with these menstrual cycle effects. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I think, the, the very the very first episode of the podcast was um, Marty Hazel. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, She's great, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so we've, we've touched on it here and there throughout the, throughout the years. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. Well, so. yeah, so some of the findings um, were based on methods that were not as great as they could have been. Um, so she's gone through and actually created this new method, um, with verifying the hormones, like when people are actually fertile versus not. Um, and she's finding some replicating some of the findings, but finding some other ones that are different. So for instance, one of the, one of the most uh, heavily cited ones, at least in the media is when women are fertile, they wear red, right. To show off their fertility or whatever. So she found that's actually not true. They're no more likely to wear red than they are to wear any other color. (laughs) Um, so that was, that was pretty interesting. Uh, She actually brought participants into the lab when they were fertile and when they weren't and, and just took photos of them and so we could see what color clothes they were wearing did they uh did they dress sexier i've seen that um or, did, or were you no but we did for that uh i don't know if we tested for that but we, i think in the past they've done a thing like it it showed how much skin yes was yeah, yeah. Uh, was revealed during that well, we did find that when women are fertile, that they have uh, more intentions to buy sexy clothes. So, yeah, that is consistent with that. But mm. the red thing doesn't seem to to be to be happening. So, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I think it's a really interesting area to explore as well. This these whole um, hormones and behavior in, in women as well. It was so understudied. So. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, uh, all right. Well, awesome. So, each week I have now had my guests uh, give myself and listeners an extra credit assignment um which can be anything it can be something from one of your studies it can be uh cognitive reappraisal it can be a book <laughs> that you like it can be it can be something that uh a, a little uh life hack that you use in your everyday life it can be anything yeah it can be multiple things if you like <laughs> okay I'll, I'll give two i'll say one is next time you get angry try to really take the perspective of the other person, maybe think about what's going been going on in their lives and uh, maybe you won't be so angry, which is good for both of you, I think. <laughs> yeah. And then the second one would be extra credit. It'll take you more than a week to read, but I would recommend everybody read Steven Pinker's book, um, The Better Angels of Our Nature, Why Violence Has Declined. I've yet to read. I it's, mean, I've, I've read a ta- uh, his talks on... Um, from the book and and uh it's it's fantastic yeah it's uh, it's a, it's a terrific book it's got it's got a, it's, it's a lot just, of hope in there yeah 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 absolutely yeah um, it just shows with so many different ways that you know violence has been declining over the last you know thousand years or so so it's fascinating until we all nuke ourselves until <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Don't> north korea <laughs> yeah. um, donald trump <laughs> <laughs> well thank you very much tom for joining me yeah, i appreciate thanks. it and thank you listeners for being such wonderful curious people we will talk with you next week thank you Next week on the program, we're going to continue where this conversation left off by talking about ovulation, and also we're going to be talking a little bit about, I guess you'd say, uh, some feminist topics from an evolutionary point of view with Candace Blake and Sydney, and a really fantastic episode, and I thank you very much for supporting the show, for rating the show, for checking me out patreon.com slash shane moss make sure to check out ramin get his new book cave paintings for future people and the jimmy fro podcast to hear a bunch of cool new indie music like the multiple cat which is the band playing in the outro right now those of you that listen all the way to the end you are my favorite
Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island yeah. and he was blowing <laughs> Boris Karloff. What would it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you fuck 